right, we're rolling. Rolling, rolling, rolling. All right. Hello, Nolan. Hello. Hello, Goose. Hi. And hello, audience. Uh, this is the Fandom Nonsense Podcast. We talk about nonsense of the fandom variety. Uh, today, we're wrapping up our long journey through the mythical um, Old West of Red Dead 2. Uh going to talk about the first couple episodes of uh, Moon Knight that that just came out and uh, and some other things but first um, an old old classic we've got a first word for you guys starting with <laughs> um, there's a new Ruby uh, anime adaptation coming out like proper anime done by some apparently some important names like a lot of people seem to be really excited about uh, some of the people attached to to the project Uh, there will be an English dub with the original cast I'm not sure if that's going to be done simultaneously or if the Japanese version is coming out and and the dub will follow but from what I understand it's it starts with as a retelling of the original of like the first couple of seasons and then it's going to veer off in its own different uh direction after like a couple right. episodes of I mean it was called the Ice Queendom so I'm assuming it'll focus on like Weiss, Weiss and yeah. her family That's what I what it what I f- assume but Oh is it going to be like well what if Weiss was the leader? No because we saw that Ruby was the leader and it, it yeah. is yeah, I mean, we saw that, and then it did Ozpin's, like, voiceover of just what should... You need to think about what leader is to you. Yeah. Hmm. I don't know. I, I fucking I love seeing them all animate out. That's pretty cool. It's yeah. Some some nice uh, combat animation we saw for just a, just a moment. Is this going to be, like, a movie? It's going to be, like, a... No, it's a series. It's a series? Yeah. All right. Yeah, I thought the the cl- trailer even said movie on it, but no, it's a series. Because apparently, cool. the first couple episodes are going to be retelling the first couple seasons, and then it'll veer off in like the third Hell yeah. episode. How? <coughs> I don't know. Um, but <coughs> I don't know. I, I'm I'm interested to see what uh, retelling of this would do. You know, ever since seeing. H bombs like Ruby is disappointing, and here's why. Uh, uh, it's like, what would you call it? An episode? <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, ever since seeing that video, um, it I mean, obviously, it helped crystallize and actually give like a really positive uh, uh, perspective on a critique. You know, it felt like it like wasn't. Um, shortchanging any of the limitations of the series, but also was pretty honest about its shortcomings. Yeah. And uh, I think that uh, overall, conceptually, what what people love about Ruby is that, like, there's just, like, a really uh, genuine, like, crystallized uh, center, you know? There's, mm-hmm. like, a, uh, a an emotional uh, fundament, you know, that, like... It just makes you feel uh, like the story is worthwhile. 
And I think that it like having it be interpreted like interpreted by you know somebody that got it secondhand might elucidate yeah. some of the things that are a little bit more universal and uh, help you know tighten up some of those like you know growing pains that they experienced whenever the show was first released. So I think overall this would probably be a great thing for for Ruby and get it. Uh, you know, exposed to people who maybe were turned off by the animation style or thought, like, the writing in the first couple seasons was whack or whatever, you know. But um, I never really had any of those issues. I kind of always just, you know, appreciating Machinima, you know, when it was a first a thing. You know, we all watched fucking Red vs. Blue when mm-hmm. it first came out, and it was just them, like, nodding up and down while, like, aiming their guns, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I think they had already figured that out by the first episode, but you know what I mean. Yeah, I I don't know. I well for for one thing, I think the strongest critique that H Bomb had was in the in his critique on how they handled the uh, the White Fang, which hasn't been really much of a plot point the last few seasons to to tell if they've internalized that <coughs> or not. But I do think on the other points of of like dynamic animation and characterization, I do think the last couple of seasons, I do think the show has gotten better at oh yeah. all of those things through the years. But I do think it's a show that that wishes it had been done in this style to begin with in a lot of ways. Yeah. yeah. You know, like I don't I don't th- really think that the show really utilizes the fact that it's that it's 3D other than the fact that 3D is easier and cheaper to to pipeline with a small team than you know, a full-blown 2D action adventure anime anime style. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean like the the later seasons of Attack on Titan made a change to the style of animation that you see in Ruby and like Hank and Ashura started there because like it's just it's more economic. It mm-hmm. just is it takes less time and is easier to render and everything and you can like convey more motion and stuff like that. There are some like limitations based on just like the character models being sort of like set in stone, you can't do like the tweening, morphing stuff that you can do. Yeah. In in just straight up two D animation, but uh, you can sort of splice that in and in, in certain places. Uh, texturally, it makes things like stand out, especially when you have a drawn background or one that's like rendered in three D in a mm-hmm. different way. But you can usually, if you use that kind of animation, you can end up having a lot more uh, dynamism and stuff like that. If you don't have, you know, as big of a team as you might need. And, you know, I I totally get how uh, somebody might feel that. uh, Like, it felt like it was maybe a bit of a crutch for for, uh, Ruby just starting off. But, like, I think it's really grown into that style. And, like, you know, we say this every time a new season comes out, how how beautiful it is. And, like, how much better it looks than previous seasons. And they've always done well because Monty Ohm was around. They always did well to convey action mm. and uh, and combat and all that stuff. And since he has left, I think maybe a little bit 
less of the uh, fight uh, choreography is as inspired, but it feels like the set pieces are all a lot more uh, interesting and like you know like the the kaiju fight at the <laughs> yeah, yeah and it's it's hard to tell without monty here how that would have developed because like the first couple of seasons really have this sense of in, in this in the same way that at its core rvb is a, is a radio drama in yeah. a lot of ways like you can listen to it and know what's going on just by the dialogue there's not a lot of visual information in the early Ruby seasons. The yeah. like the moments in between are basically just here's how we get to the next fight. You know, here's how we get to the next Monty Ohm action yeah. set yeah. piece. Yeah. Whereas after Monty then it starts to become a lot stronger visually in the other areas. And of course the action n- necessarily takes a step back because it doesn't have you know, that visionary lead on it anymore. So it's hard to tell if that balance they've struck now would have happened or if the show would have continued to be, yeah, but check out this Moniome action set piece. Yeah. You that know? is a good point. I don't know. I think the uh, rising tide raises all dinghies, right? So I think that as the, sh- the show becomes more prevalent as it learns from all of these, you know, you might call mistakes or you might just call, you know, opportunities to, to improve. Yeah. Um, you know, everything improves along with it, it seems. You know, because if, if you take a step back in any of these one places, then everything suffers in general. It's kind of a weird sort of alchemy you have to keep a show together with. Mm-hmm. seems like, you know, you can't let any any sort of, like, once you d- like get a lot of visual quality and you get a lot of uh, like interesting characters and stuff, then it's the the game becomes okay. How do we not fuck this up? You know, yeah. how, how do we keep this interesting with good storylines? And how do we not betray our uh, audience's understanding of who these characters are and what they want? Right. So yeah, I, I'm I'm looking. I don't know when the release date is on this. I don't think they've announced it yet, but. 2022. 2022. Release. Um, Oh, you're good. And uh, Volume 9 will be coming out this year as well. I I don't know. I kind of doubt that they would do them simultaneously. So I would assume that when Volume 9 will probably be like tail end of the year, I would expect if they just keep it to the typical schedule. Um, So I'd expect this probably late summer or fall, but we'll you know, we'll talk about it and cover it. Hopefully, we'll know whether the dub is coming with it. Because I'd rather, I'd rather watch the dub. But if it's going to be like a two-year thing of where like they do the whole series in the in Japanese and then dub it, I'm not going to wait that long to yeah to watch it. Well, I guess it does generate a lot of hype for people who maybe wouldn't have watched Ruby before now. I mean, it's so d- it it's a smart call. It does answer the the whole "is it an anime?" debate. No, but also Here's yes, one. <laughs> yeah. and also yeah. No, but also maybe, and also yes. Yeah. Um. Finally, an answer. <laughs> no, it looks it looks great in the action. The action sequences look 
look awesome and uh, and I noticed that there's like even besides the where the little di- diversions there's little pepperings of more things like things from the trailers in there like Ruby at her mom's yeah. grave and more stuff about about Weiss's honestly I would I'm not going to say if I prefer it because I haven't seen what they're doing with it yet but I would honestly like it if it was just a retelling but it was more fleshed out and more in in depth on the characters and world yeah. and everything. Totally. Are they still going to play within the same canon, or is it going to be a complete diversion? I think it's going to be its own its own canon. I don't think it's going to be the like ca- the exact events of the original show. But I'm only okay. going on what I've what I've heard and understand. Like, what if they give Weiss, like, an extra sibling or something? That's kind of what I was getting at by, like, if it's going to stay within a certain canon. I I, th- I imagine that those things are, are going to be set for the most part. Like, Weiss has two siblings. Uh, Summer is dead. Raven's a shitty mom. You know, all those kinds of kinds of things are going to be set in stone just <laughs> what they and it m- it might be the fact that you know things that we didn't see cuz like we see the first uh like week or so of them, them as a team and then there's a bit of a gap between s- volume 1 and 2 and then again from volume 2 to 3 so maybe we see more of those like in between well, be moments cool. but so that's that. And then on the other side, uh, we have a very uh, important update for RVB, if I can read this fucking small fucking print here, uh, from Sean Hines, who I believe is an editor. He works on RVB, uh, probably a machinimator. But um, he says, good afternoon, everyone, and <coughs> happy almost, which was the first, this is a bit old, anniversary. Hard to believe it, but already six months have gone by since our last update on the roadmap for Red vs. Blue, and a lot has happened since then. In that time span, we released all six 11 episodes of Family Shatters, finished and complete the f- run of the first 17 seasons, and began to lay the groundwork for the larger RVB universe. Along the way, we've been working to better understand the bond we have with our audience. This letter is an attempt to add clarity in the last two years of production and introduce a roadmap for the next two years. So let's clear the air and start right off with Red versus Blue Zero. Is this an apology? It's an apology. Oh and my God, what? Thank God. <laughs> <laughs> Zero was an incredibly ambitious production. Pushing the furthest away from the Shannon looks since season 14 while also building a show and experimental pipeline. With the Shizno Trilogy's mixed uh, reviews, we saw an opportunity to do something different. Create something, quote, RVB adjacent that on the surface would feature similar tenets of the brand, like the iconic Halo armor, family dynamics, and nods to the previous seasons. Mm. Then wrap it up in a new aesthetic with comedy elements and big action set pieces. We knew it would be difficult, and then, surprise, we were also suddenly navigating a pandemic. Regardless, we absolutely tried to make the best of a challenging set of circumstances, and I know for a fact the team put their whole hearts into the season. Rooster Teeth is about the art of storytelling and giving opportunities to emerging voices. Sometimes those stories resonate with our audience, and sometimes and something truly magical can happen. RVB is evidence of this over 19 years with featuring different creatives, different concepts, and each with their own story to tell. 
Some have been embraced more than others. <laughs> but the uh-huh. spirit of creating something that can become part of a larger, more collaborative creative process is a hallmark of Rooster Teeth. Our story has been shaped by our fans, including some who came to work at RT and ultimately contribute to the RV- RVB franchise itself. We are proud of the fact that through its evolutions, people are still passionate about RVB after all this time. With all that said, it's important to note up front that we will not be immediately going into production on a full season. Red vs. Blue will continue, but we need some time to reimagine the future of the show. For a number of reasons, we're moving on from the Zero storyline and into a new storytelling phase of RVB. Oh, God. <laughs> Although we're saying goodbye to the Shatter Squad for now, the team loved creating and working in that space, and we are proud of the work that we did. Over the next three months, we will begin to deliver weekly content to both our animation YouTube channel and Rooster Teeth in two ways. Firstly, you may have heard that there's a new Halo show on Paramount+, Plus, and we're fortunate enough to have, ha- to have the opportunity to support the release by getting some of their Legacy Blood Gulch crew back together for a comedic recap of Master Chief's latest adventure. Secondly, by continuing the, the art of preserving, preserving the series with complete versions of our miniseries, starting with Out of Mind, we'll be also contributing... Cl- Closed captions and issues is existing seasons, blah 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 blah. What will follow that is eight what will follow that is eighteen months worth of what we hope will be weekly content, some of it live action, some of machinimated, but all in the spirit of RVB. We have a Halo Infinite style piece of short form RVB content that we hope to reveal later this year. Later in the year we will we'd also like to tell a short story spanning on some legacy content plot threads that are hanging out there. We will also continue to be a good partner to Microsoft and find ways to support Halo Infinite and engage with our audience on the platform as well. Finally, we're planning to create nostalgic content leading up to the 20th anniversary of the show one year from now. Made all the way to the end of this w- letter. Thank you for supporting us. Someone's in blah, 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 blah. So, basically, no more Zero. Thank God. Uh, no Season 19 yet, but... A, a lot of classic RVB and tying up loose plot threads is really interesting to me because there's really not that much left, but there are some things that are still kind of dangling. So I'm I'm interested to see what all they have in store. And then, of course, the first, which is the anniversary of RVB and Rooster Teeth and all that, was a week ago, um, and that was 19 years, and next year will be year 20. So I'm glad to see they're taking that seriously. And, you know, it felt the last the last few seasons, and especially with Zero, that RVB had kind of been not abandoned, but it was... It was Simpson, uh, you know, yeah. like anything past the uh, ninth season, you know, yeah. not n- not quite that hollow and shameless, but like pr- still pretty like lost its vision. And I think this is like completely good news, you know. Yeah, I don't want them to like feel like they have to just shit out another season of an uninspired, you know, tangentially connected. Yeah. People in fucking, you know, power armor sort of thing. Well, my, like some of my favorite RVB things are the old, um, the old miniseries like uh, Recovery One or Out of Mind, or even like some of the mini plots that you get in 
season fourteen. Like, yeah, the the Mercs trilogy is one of my favorite that things, cool. and you couldn't get more other than the the writing of it. Like the the writing still felt still felt like RVB, but in the tone and and obviously the animation and the complete lack of of Mjolnir armor, you know, or Spartan armor, or whatever. Like it didn't have really feel like RVB at all, but it still had that thing. And so, as long as they can maintain that, the brand can stretch really, really far. And it's kind of what I was hoping they would do after season thirteen. Like I was kind of hoping that season fourteen would just be the norm, and they would just do different things with it instead of settling back into you know that story which seemed to be wrapped up but you can still use like the language of that show to do to do interesting things with and you know and, and maybe let other people uh, you know fans and such do do things do things with that kind of uh the kind of language that the show has. So hopefully we're going to get more like that, like a lot more different things, but getting back to what makes the sh- RVB feel like yeah. RVB. Honestly, I think that's like a best case scenario is that we get just... When I, when I say that like Zero felt uh, tangentially connected and... Uh, uninspired. I definitely don't feel any of those ways about season 14. Maybe certain little snippets of it, but like in general, I felt like everything is really... Um, I don't know. If whenever you delegate uh, like a series to a bunch of different people and like ask for a bunch of different people to interpret it, mm-hmm. you know, again, you get this kind of like... It, it almost clarifies what... RVB can mean to like a wide group of people if everybody can like take away this different thing from it or see it through, you know, mm-hmm. uh, various perspectives and you know, I don't know. And j- I think especially when something has been around for that long, yeah, you don't necessarily need to keep feeding the machine. You can just like let people interpret what's already there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we'll see some good stuff if they have that approach for the next year or so and don't feel obligated to to just be like more zero. Yeah. What <laughs> I'm glad they didn't double down on it. Yeah. Well they did a second season, right? Uh did they? No. Um they did a and it's actually a little bit better. Like it's not good. But uh Family Shatters w- w- and it's, it's not canon to zero, but it's like a 90s sitcom spin oh. on the on the dynamics and everything. And like I said, it's better. It's still not good. The worst episodes are the ones where they bring back some of the legacy characters because they just shit all over them. Um, <laughs> but it's certainly more watchable than uh, than Zero was. But yeah, I'm ec- I'm excited about that as much as I can be because you know it all depends on the execution and the same with 
with Ice Queen, but at least we can see a trailer to see. Okay, at least it looks good. Like even yeah. if it's horribly cheesy and or whatever. Oh, it's gonna be. If it's it's like gonna be a magical girl anime. It's yeah. gonna be yeah. cheesy as hell. Yeah. Um, if it's done with any kind of uh, solidarity to what anime is, it's yeah. gonna be. There's gonna be some cringe in there. But it's going to be good. I'm hoping it's on the level of like Oron Host Club. I was actually kind of thinking like this, something like that where it's just like the uh, ensemble is sort of like the emotional center of yeah. something like Fruits Basket or yeah. you know, something like that. Because um, otherwise you get like the uh, like Little Witch Academia kind of uh, magical girl. Which like that's fun and fine. Yeah, but, but it's it feels less... Um, I don't know, less suited to what we're looking for. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I wanted to split the difference between like a full-on like shonen and a slice of life, which I think all the best anime do that anyway. Yeah. So. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, I'm, I'm good with that. And then, um. So that's. So that's the first word, and we'll be getting more of those through the years as we get more RVB and Ruby content finally after... (laughs) 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 Yeah, after a couple-year break. Uh, That reminds, this is our uh, season finale. We will be taking a wee short break, just a few weeks. Uh, We come back. It'll probably be time to cover um, Moon Knight in its entirety. I do believe that the Batman will be out by then on the HBO on HBO Max and all of that. So we'll talk about that, and of course the the epilogue for Red Dead Redemption Two. Uh, but first, we got to talk about the uh, first couple episodes of Moon Knight because they're here and they're spectacular. At least yeah. I enjoyed them. Yeah, I really fucking liked it. Honestly, like it's hard to remember how I felt about. Uh, like Loki or, or uh, WandaVision or the other series that I enjoyed yeah. from Marvel. And I never I finished fucking Hawkeye, and I still need to do that. But, uh, no, I feel really, really good about this series y- so yeah. far. Mm-hmm. I feel like our instinct to assume that uh, Oscar Isaac was just going to kill it was pretty well-founded. Uh, I think that his performance as both uh, Mark Spector and... Uh, Stephen Grant. Stephen Grant. With a V. Um <laughs> uh, are uh, are both pe- like powerful and like yeah. we get a good sense of uh, who they are and um, he really sells just being like you know like reasonably cowardly to a situation you can't understand yeah you know what I mean mm-hmm. like he 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 he's playing the fear really well and uh, to the point where I thought that the first episode like until we get the reveal of uh, having the supernatural abilities of Moon Knight. Like, it sells the horror of the situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I feel like the the biggest thing you want in horror is to sympathize with the characters so that when they're in peril, you feel the, the suspense. Yeah. And also, uh, the the performance of the character has to uh, feel, r- like, reasonable. It has to feel like they're actually taking part in their surroundings and not just, like, deliberately putting themselves in harm's way. That's what I found, like most compelling about the first episode on that like in that sense of horror that um 
that Steven is just as confused about all this as the audience is. Like this is all this is all n- new to him and all something he's just kind of being thrown into as we are. So as like the audience perspective character, it really serves to put us in his head and in that space. Yeah. And like yeah. I'm not eas- I'm not easily like scared or freaked out. Um but they pulled it off so well and a lot of it was in the in the cinematography and like mm-hmm. the lighting and the camera. But like I fucking I got like fifteen minutes in I think I got to like him in bed with the Rubik's Cube. And I was like, I'm gonna watch this in the morning because this is like making me way too anxious. It was watch. like really yeah. tense. The yeah. first episode is like really, really tense. To be fair, we did watch it at like eleven PM. Yeah. Yeah. I watched I tried to watch it at two, like when it came out, and I was like, No, you know what? I'm just gonna I'm gonna wait because this is this is just too a little bit too much right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just uh, watched uh, the Twin Peaks movie, <laughs> and uh, that I think is unparalleled in its like sense of dread and suspense throughout. Mm-hmm. And it just is like the slow burn on this incredibly like well captured s- like cinematic nightmare. Um, and I think that Moon Knight had like shades of that kind of feeling. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, it's like a uh, a glimpse into a world that is a very much not uh, holding to our our sense of like physics and and you know uh, like what we understand to be reality and th- that that like fear of personhood too like how how much do we really know what's going on inside of ourselves you know yeah. we have to trust that whenever we aren't actually like consciously present that our bodies aren't being <laughs> manipulated by yeah. you know another force which you know. I understand how people in in like the deep past would consider like the spiritual world to be what it, it occurs in dreams, you know. Yeah. I, I wonder how like uh, people really felt about what they imagined in in their sleep, if, you know, before they had like the full uh, like scientific context or at least like a functional understanding of like the brain's need to you know, experiment in the night. And even now we don't really understand it all that well in terms right. of, you know, complete function and, and and purpose and all that stuff. But, yeah, you, g- you get the sense that, like, you know, you know uh, we were just talking about this right after the second episode ended. Um, have you noticed that in the Marvel Universe, any <laughs> pantheon that isn't Abrahamic is like real. It has the opportunity to be real. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's because of the overlap in the fact that like the Abrahamic god is three different deities worshipped yeah. concurrently? Only Can in Christianity. No, no, I mean like the Allah, Elohim and oh. God are all the same yeah. entity. And so like if you were gonna portray well first of all, I mean you probably shouldn't portray Allah, right? Yeah. Is, do they have an and issue with the portrayals of Allah, or is it just Muhammad? I don't know. I don't know. I know there's a, there's the issue with it in I w- Christianity, and I want to say Judaism. 
yeah, they, as, mm-hmm. as well. They said that you can't pronounce. You can't pronounce God and yeah. when Moses, was it Moses? Yeah, it was Moses asked to look at God. He's like, you can't, you can't look at my face because I'm just too much, but you can look at my back. So, like, portraying the face of God and portraying God <laughs> in general is idolatry. So that's yeah, that's right. a no no. Yeah. Um I yeah, I don't know. Like cuz I've I've wondered about that as as well. Like does the ex- Egyptian gods are straight up real. Right. <laughs> and, and, and so are Norse gods. Yeah. Um so does that mean that imply that all like tribal and cultural gods, I guess are, are real. Eventually, we're gonna see like a Hura Mazda. Mm. <laughs> like it would still be like interesting. I th- you know I think it's just like I obviously you can't tell the story of Moon Knight without him like being imbued with his powers right. from the Egyptian pantheon. But like, I also I love the way they like diegetically explain who like Moon Knight is because like it could have very easily been. Just like Stephen looking in the mirror and Mark being like, "You're you're the fist of vengeance from this specific <laughs> god." Yeah. But to have it like being explained to him by the villain. By the way, fucking that's Ethan Hawke, right? Yeah. Holy oh. shit, he's doing great. Yeah, like, what a great performance. He feels really unsettling, but like, like he wholeheartedly, either he's like consumed by the grift and he wholeheartedly believes it, or there is not a single chink in that armor of fucking uh, manipulation. I mean, I've. The very first thing we see is his character put glass in his shoe and and step in it. Yeah. Which to me shows a a complete devotion and yeah. he's not you know, he's not walking on glass in front of people. He's yeah. he's constantly in that like hyper meditative state, but you know, it's a uh, you know, pray in your closet kind of, kind of thing. You know, like it's. So I I think that that shows us that he genuinely believes mm-hmm. in um, in Amit and what he's what he's preaching well and yeah. all of that. And also, if it's true that he was the previous uh, fist of vengeance, mm-hmm. then he would have to know for a fact that the the gods were real. Yeah. And. Um, I like the what's at the core of this uh, conflict too, like the the uh, belief that the followers of Ahmet are espousing, and I I I like how they're portraying it as like something that um, can be understood through the lens of like uh, a complete like philosophical detachment and uh, like I, uh, being a zealot. Yeah. But when you approach it from like a very human and like culturally significant and like obvious sort of right. way, yeah. you just look at the face of it and be like, "You're killing children." I yeah, <laughs> like just, no, I just I'm, uh, I'm not I'm not into that. Yeah. That's that's what you're all into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he looks around. Nobody does anything. Yeah. God. The fact that like they did have that scene where she talks about everyone speaks three languages there was pretty neat. Just mm. his little I yeah. guess he calls it his like what? He would call it a utopia or something. Cult. 
occult, yeah. yeah, for sure. I think that like I don't know, it's it's powerful too saying that uh well first off we get like evidence of his powers before we understand them. And then, like, I mean, you can you can put it together with, like, the scales, either turning red or green. I mean, I feel like they didn't have to uh, be, a li- be, like, that on the nose with it, like, to where it's fucking traffic light rules, <laughs> yeah. you know? I didn't even see the green. I thought it was just black. No, no, it's black when it's just, like, on his arm. Yeah, I turns, just... Yeah, it turns green if they're a good yeah. person. And he remember when he's like, this is the face of a good man. And he I never saw green, dude. Okay. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it turns green, doesn't no, it? Th- yeah, I think it does, yeah. Yeah, because it definitely turns red whenever he's like... Yeah, I saw the red, I just didn't see any green. Right. But I- anyway, it could have just like tilted one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would have been a little bit more subtle. But Instead I of doing I like the yeah. up and down scales. It, it's fine, we've got mm-hmm. fucking uh, Bleach Batman running around, it's all good. We don't <laughs> need to... <laughs> yeah, it's a little dapper suit. And, you know, I've said a million times... Um, Marvel, the MCU, Marvel Studios does best with uh, with characters that aren't very widely known, and this is a really good example mm. of it. Like if you hadn't said that, I never would have thought of like Moon Knight as um, as Marvel's Batman. You know, from from watching this show, like oh yeah, no, it's it's more like he's um, it's just like oh, I had a good analogy for this earlier. It was fucking like Fight Club, uh, oh Fight Club Wishmaster is what this is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, except they're you know drawing from not Zoroastrianism but the Egyptian. Because I don't know how much. Yeah. Uh, how much the comics lean into the DID aspect of the character, but that's the the part that I think is the most most compelling about about the character. Oh is yeah, that like I love like Jekyll and Hyde stories, and I love the fact that you know it's not a, of like the Hulk thing where the the hero is its own separate personality. The other personality is kind of an asshole. Yeah. And they both have their own unique uh, interpretations on their hero form. Yeah. You know, Moon Knight and, and Mr. Knight, <laughs> which is so cool. I, in both episodes, I will say, um, the CGI was wonky in some places. That's I really the biggest critique that yeah. I probably have to it. I thought um, the fight in the street where uh, uh, the the monster is invisible because mm-hmm. we're like <laughs> seeing it through Layla's perspective. I guess. Yeah. Um, I thought that just looked weird. Yeah. Like I felt like it was supposed to be played for laughs, and they, uh, they w- didn't do enough with it for it to be that like visibly visibly yeah. humorous. Yeah. It was like the people in the background they were making it humorous, like that one lady. That said, uh, no, it's just yeah. a uh, just a dapper drunk man. Yeah, once once they got up to the bus and there was like, you know, bystanders to remark yeah. and like be affected by it, then it got a little bit more interesting and the scene started to work a little bit better. But um, I did like the uh, the chase sequence that followed that, and where we get to see like Moon Knight's ability to like traverse and mm-hmm. all that stuff, yeah. and then he does the the cool spike drop uh, with the yeah the monster. That was that was pretty neat. 
But I think, like, what has sold this to me the most so far has just been the, like, the the dialogue, the mm-hmm. the interactions between, like, uh, what's the god that he's, like? Conchu. Conchu. Um, like, the conversations he's been having with, with him and the, like, just in general. I think Layla's a good character. I mm-hmm. think that, like, I understand why... Uh, <laughs> Uh, Kanji was playing Mark by saying, like, if you're not going to do this, I'll just get Layla. She's cooler anyway. Yeah, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> Brave as fuck. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, there's a lot more, obviously, two roughly 45-hour-long episodes, but um, <laughs> we'll go more more depth. We'll just do a whole episode on this whenever we come come back because um, obviously there's you know, like the we didn't even get really get into the the wh- where the fuck was he or the the car s- the car chase or the I want to say it's like Bavaria but somewhere like yeah Eastern Europe whatever oh yeah um or the stake <laughs> or any of uh any of that, that God, stuff. him ordering a steak is just like <laughs> social anxiety to <laughs> <Yep>. a T. <tea. laughs> just uh good. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Um so we'll do well done then. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh the, the best the best one. Okay. The filet. And <laughs> how would you like that? <laughs> yeah. Good. V- good, very good. Uh well I'll get that for you. Well done. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> <laughs> like watching it it's just i've had one of those moments you know and i think we all have like yeah honestly yeah you know and you're just not prepared for a conversation mm-hmm. who's vegan yeah 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 um and the it's another it feels like another like meta nudge of like well yeah but oscar isaac has a horrible british accent <laughs> yeah but that's that works though because the character's not actually British. He just thinks that he's British. I thought it was okay. It was passable. It was passable. Yeah, yeah it's it's a lot like Cumberbatch's American accent. It's yeah. just like I don't see, I don't really think that British people tend to have really good American accents. I think Tom they, Hollins is really good. But they will accidentally slip a lot more. Like, there's certain things that you can't get away from the pronunciation. Mm. Um, American actors always seem to have shitty British accents. Yeah. Like, like they're br- British, but they're too generalized. Yeah, it's like we can't... I think that's because that is the that's the metagame of doing a British accent, is, like, knowing which fucking shire you're from. Or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I, I think why that happens is because typically... The accent that you hear, the American accent that you hear, is that fake neutral accent. Right, the unaccented. Yeah. yeah. So, English, which is what fucks me up about Cumberbatch. It just is just like, give me a cheeseburger and some fries, please. <laughs> no, he's obviously not doing that much of a yeah. like John Wayne. But there, there, there was a time where it was just like, if somebody was trying to learn how to speak in an, an American accent, they would have like these keystone characters and one of them was John Wayne mm-hmm. so like 
you know, they'd fucking give you'd end up with like Peter O'Toole. Wait, no, he's British. Never mind. You'd end up <laughs> with like <laughs> Is he British? Doesn't sound British. Uh, that's the guy from Lawrence of Arabia, right? I'm not the person you should be looking at when you ask that question. Uh, fuck Peter O'Toole. Not really. But like, w- uh, for, forget that line of thought, <laughs> I guess is what I'm saying. Um, y- yeah, you get what I'm saying. The fucking, like, it's never completely accurate when you try to, like, generalize an entire culture with one. Like, can you imagine there be like, people say you have an American accent, but, like, you can go like two hours in any direction, and people have like wildly different yeah. ways of speaking. Yeah, I think it's just a uh, just a matter of you got to commit to like it, or at least know where exactly somebody's from mm-hmm. to uh, to really sell something like that. Uh, he is British, by the way. Peter O'Toole. Mm-hmm. Right on. He's got a very British name. I don't know how I. <laughs> That's why I just assumed. <laughs> yeah. This is a very silly way of talking, though. Does he? Honestly, um, um, this is the first time I've seen anything with Oster Oscar Isaac in it. Uh, Star yeah. Wars. Yeah. Oh, was he po fucking Poe Dameron? Oh, that's fair. Um, I didn't even recognize his face. He feels like a completely different person. In this. Yeah. Like yeah. Uh, same thing in Ex Machina. He sells the um, "Please help me" yeah. character yeah. very well. This is on like the most vulnerable I've ever seen him perform. Yeah, as as Steven. So most of the time, he's like a. Uh, he's he's more like his Mark. Yeah. Side oh. in most of the things I see him in. Gotcha. Tumblr loves him. Yeah, I would imagine so. Yeah, he's a short king, isn't he? I don't know how tall he is. No, it's just like, I could fix you well kind of thing. I don't understand that perspective on him, if I'm being completely honest. Because it's like, he has a mental disorder, if <laughs> anything. Yeah. Like, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that comment whenever um, the villain said, do you think he picked you because you were easy to break or because you were already broken? I liked how his uh, his response to that was just, I'm, I'm not broken. <laughs> I'm just losing, you know, a bunch of hours and hallucinating yeah. <laughs> and being in contact with an Egyptian god. Yeah, I'm just... It's fine. Uh, I just talk to myself in the mirror. I just met my wife who's divorcing me. Today. <laughs> divorcing me because I said I wanted to divorce her. You seem pretty good at talking about yourself. I'm kind of worried that, like, I wonder how they're going to, because both bodies can't, or both personalities can't own this body, right? You know? Maybe it's like a Dr. Fate thing, where uh, they'll come to some kind of understanding, or maybe the two personalities will merge. Oh, instead of just one sitting in the background. Because that seems unsustainable. It feels like there's inherently conflict there. I mean, you would know better than than I would probably. Is that a thing? Like, 
in in DID patients, I know that like you that one can be suppressed or whatever, but to the point that it kind of just fades back into the original personality because I'd hate to see them, you know, take some some wonky sci-fi, you know, direction with an actual real-world issue that people people deal with. You know, I think that's kind of why they have it is purely supernatural because like if if I had anything remotely close to this, I wouldn't want them to try to like portray it. Well, Conchu is supernatural, but the yeah. like the Mark and Stephen thing is very firmly rooted in like yeah. trauma-based uh dissociative identity disorders. And a lot of times with go ahead. I thought it was that like uh so when Mark is talking with uh, Kanji with the... Is that it? Kanji? Kanji. Kanji. Yeah. Um, at the end of the second episode, I thought he was saying that Kanji had given uh, Stephen's body to Mark. No. So when he died. No. What what happened then? Because um, he said you were a corpse when I found you. Yeah. He... He reanimated that body. So and, wait, and the so show does Stephen's clearly say die? that he has DID. Like it says that in the description of the show. Yeah, that too. For real? Yeah. Yes. I really feel like that's a bad idea. Because there's no way to like accurately portray that. Uh, according to like the studies that I saw with DID mm-hmm. and with the relative that I have with DID, a lot of times the other person that's in the background will exist as a fugue state. Yeah. To where like when they can shift in and out of it like just randomly. Like my one of my relatives, she like in the middle of a sentence will shift out of it. Like and then maybe a week later she can come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she doesn't remember anything from the shift. Wild. Yeah. She's also gone through electroshock therapy because she had more than just another yeah. personality. Yeah. She had several. So the idea would then be that, like, okay, so you've got, like, your A personality, and then that personality undergoes uh, trauma that they can't cope with with whatever mechanisms they have. Mm-hmm. And so they invent a, or they, I don't know, invent seems like the wrong way to term this, but another personality is created yeah. and it, it they, they are there to experience that trauma and have inside this, this created personality um, stronger traits to deal with whatever trauma that they've experienced, right? Yeah, a lot of times the trauma will be the one that's in the background, like just zipped up and shoved away. Okay, so then it would be the like the. Well, so because it's a way of suppressing. Right. right. So what what, what, what I'm getting at then is that like, Mark doesn't seem like he has been. Uh, that's because Mark is the dominant personality in most circumstances. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. So what, I, what I'm getting out of though is that Mark doesn't seem like he's been like traumatized by these these scenarios, and Stephen hasn't had to endure them at all. We don't know like when any of this happened. And Mark though. says he's gonna let 
Stephen go as soon as his business is done. Yeah. With uh, Kanji. I don't know. It's all speculation right now. I would just hope that they wouldn't try to make it seem like you have to <laughs> have, like, engage in this, like, uh, hyper, uh, like, inexplicable, like, pseudo reality in order to deal with what is actually like a thing that people have to yeah. have to deal with. Right. It has been praised in like mm-hmm. the small circles that I have seen. Oh, well that's um, fucking great then. Yeah, and a lot of people have said they do like the fact that there is another supernatural element in it mm. because of like how they like how that can drive the horror not just the mental illness. Yeah. Right, cuz yeah, that's 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 kind of what I'm getting at is that like I wouldn't want to like watch something for fun that was about a a disorder that I have and have it be like the horror is right. living yeah, with this disorder. Yeah. You know what I mean? But like they, they do like the way it's represented though. Yeah. It's like uh, somehow like sometimes when people are portrayed uh, as being like paraplegic or, or having some physical disability and like a narrative will be constructed around them like having to have some sort of like personal or moral victory and then they get the strength to like stand up out of their wheelchair or whatever. Right. Yeah. That feels really fucking insulting to me. So I wouldn't want it to be like that for you know people who have to deal with this disorder. Uh, but we spend most of the first episode just watching Oscar Isaac try and do his best, not successfully, but try. And it's like a mood. Yeah, I th- I think yeah a lot of what it shows you too is how much of a like kind-hearted and like uh honest person he is um to begin with so because yeah he's put in all of these like tense situations where he doesn't know where he is and is you know trying to like you say do his best and what that ends up being is him you know trying not to hurt anybody and even putting himself in danger whenever he you know like when he's not giving up layla yeah and uh you know basically facing what he assumes a certain death at that point, you know, there's, yeah. I think the, the biggest question is how much, how trustworthy is, is Mark, particularly in his mm. dealings with, with Stephen. Um, like, cause, cause I don't think that's, that Stephen wants to be, you know, deleted or whatever, you know. I, I think he wants to have his life and to be in control of the body and put Mark back. And so when Mark says that he'll let him go, I think to Stephen's mind that means let him out of the mirror, mm-hmm. you know, let him have control of the body again. Um, But is that what Mark means? And if it is... Is he being being genuine in in that? And also, and I don't know. I'm sure it's answered in the comics, but I'm sure it'll be its own thing here. Of where did Stephen come from? Like, was Stephen a result of the of the trauma of dying and being reanimated, or did Stephen already exist as? an altar for Mark before then. Because in the comics, he has others. Um, it's not just those those yeah. two. There's more. 
but when did when was Stephen born? There's because a, a lot of things in um, in the first episode that kind of clue you in on his his life being a total fabrication and you know and just something that kind of Mark seems to be piecing piecing together for him to create a narrative of his of his life so a lot of interesting questions a lot of interesting stuff going on um it's really nice of Mark to uh tape up the door and yeah. redo the shackle mm-hmm. yeah. every time he uh, gets up out of bed. So, Just to kind of give Stephen a peace of mind. Yeah, and r- replace the fish. Mm-hmm. This fish had one fin. I liked the uh, Finding Nemo reference there, too. It was pretty funny. Uh, but, yeah, that's, that's that. And I'm... I think that mm, I don't know. Loki was really strong, but I would I went into Loki expecting a lot, and it's really like on rewatch. It's like the second or third episode that really hooks me on Loki. But I will I will say I think this has the the strongest first foot out the door. Mm. You know, the first episode was really, really strong and really, really hooks you and really knows what it's doing um with the with the character and the story and all of all of that. Um and lastly, uh so we talked a few weeks ago about the whole uh toey hack and all that and <laughs> so update on that. Um all the all the typical shows, um, Digimon, Dragon Quest, blah, 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 One Piece, all that shit. We'll be resuming um, not this Saturday, but next Saturday. Still no update on um, Dragon Ball Super, Superhero, but a new a new date for the... No- yeah, I know, it's still awful. A new date for the novelization has been announced, and I think that's June 30th. And so the novelization won't come out before the movie does. So I would say probably late June for for that. Before I get an announcement on that in the next couple of days. Are we talking but graphic novelization? Um, because who's buying? I mean, I'm, I imagine it's probably just like Japan only. Okay, but do I don't people do people buy like Dragon Ball Super like books? Yes. Are you gonna read a book? <laughs> Yeah, th- they're real popular. Well, they were a couple years ago when I worked at BAM. But uh, we had the novelizations of Dragon Ball at the front of the store for a little bit because they were just selling pretty fast. He's had his fucking arms in the air for <laughs> ten chapters now. I don't know what the fuck is going on. Keeps cutting to footage of like deer and fish and stuff. Uh-huh. And, of course, once again, you can go over to Spotify or uh, anywhere else, literally anywhere else, 
and listen to uh, new Fox Apple singles, White House and Black House, and Usual Suspects, available now at all major digital distributors. That's right, Dandy. B. Good Elliot <laughs> does have a show this weekend. They're yeah. going to be in Clarksville at the what? The Rebel House. The Rebel House. Uh, d- uh, doors are at 7, I think, and it's a $10 cover. Um, show starts at 8. Um, Their food, pretty good. Their food does look pretty good. Rebel House. It's like a Paducah Beer Works type deal. Yeah, that's the vibe it was giving me. You uh, guys will be playing with... We will be playing with a couple local bands. Very good, very good. Yeah. Um, and then the weekend after that, you guys going to be at MTAC? Yes, we are. We're going to be at the Middle Tennessee Anime Convention. Hey, Fucking yeah. getting our toeies hacked. I tell you what... Um, we're super looking forward to that one. Um, we're going to have like limited uh, shirt releases, and uh, we're going to be playing some new material. Um, really looking forward to fucking MTAC and, and Rebel House, too. Just, you know, it, it, this is the first time I've like ever been to an anime convention, so Work. it's going to be cool to oh yeah. go in this capacity. And uh, like I said, we're going to finish this off with some with some dying yep. and some goddamn trains. Um, <laughs> but um, when we come back I'm hoping that we can um, we can shift back into video and hopefully without having this we can get some time to do some couch locks and maybe some other things and start um, start showing our faces yeah. again and diversify our bonds. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Um, but with that, I guess let's let's head back to camp and Dutch is is pissed because. Pearson and the women have left the camp and he's trying to sell sell Arthur on on one last train job to to get a big enough score to get out and Arthur ins- insists that the the women and the children be <laughs> be let go. And Arthur agrees, and so they set off. And I guess my first big question is, so, we, you know, we go and collect the dynamite with John. We come back. Um, the train doesn't stop in San Denis. They, they chase after it and all of that. But while John and Arthur are collecting the dynamite, um, John tells Arthur that Abigail has the key to to the the chest in the cave where they where they keep the money, and and Arthur asks if uh, if Abigail is ready to go, and you know whatever happens with his job today, I'm getting you two out of here. I guess my question is. Before before things go south on the train, 
what was Arthur's plan? Or did he have one? I don't know if he did. I feel like he was still playing catch up right then. Yeah. He'd I feel like doing the, the train job at all was kind of his last ditch effort of appeasement, you know? Yeah. Because if he, if he had just been like, no, fuck this, then Dutch may have, you know. Killed everyone. Well, I don't think he would just like. No, no, probably Summarily not. execute everybody. I think he would, you know. I don't know. It's hard to, it's hard to tell what Dutch would do when he's like backed up into that specific corner because there's still obviously plenty of sympathizers around Um, and it may have just been like well Arthur if you're you're not going to be part of the gang then right afraid you're our enemy (laughs) Uh, and we have another we talked about this um, last week what what was this I can't remember what the what the moment was, but it's one of those classic like pulpy Red Dead moments, and I really feel that with the with the machine gun mm. on the on the train. Yeah. <laughs> any any time that you get to just get on a machine gun and just and just plow down people coming up behind you, um, is just reminds me of. Of Red Dead One and yeah. just the just the reckless abandon. Do you get to do that a lot in? Honestly, I think you get to do it more. Which this game is way longer yeah. in the story than um, than Red Dead One is. So it's hard to tell like per capita yeah. if you get to do it more here. But it's just There's it's one of those things in the first game. It feels more like in tune with with the first with the first game. And it's yeah. more like, more pulpy. Sunset Riders. Yeah, like over the top western. It, it the first game is much more of a western, like a, a classic western, whereas this one is more revisionist, um, like more more realistic, more of a modern kind of western. Yeah, and its and its vibes. Uh, it kind of reminds me of the. Uh, True Grit remake, the Coen Brothers version. Yeah. That or something like um, a little less glorified of a Deadwood sort of thing. Yeah, I need to go back. I've watched like one episode of that. I actually need to go back and like watch that show. Mm. Um. Yeah. Yeah, people fucking love that show. Yeah, that's what I hear. Yeah, literally, fuck you and the horse you rode in on. <laughs> just, just absolutely, just mauling people with that, with that gun, um, and then that's taken care of. And you go and break into the safe, and there's actually money in there. And what I find interesting about this is, you could even argue that even here at the end, they could have gotten away if. Dutch hadn't left John. You know, yeah. like that everything seems fine in that write off except that look from Arthur like I don't believe you when you say that John that John's dead. Like I don't Yeah. 
like something seems seems off here. But they go off, and they ride off, and then Tilly comes and, and tells them that um, Abigail's been kidnapped. And Dutch plays the conflict here so well. Like, in the in the facial animations, like, you can tell that it's, that he knows that he, that he should, but the devil on his shoulder, whether that's his own ambitions or Micah or a mix of both, is pulling him so hard in the other direction, but you can, you can, that you can tell the conflict when he decides to not go back for, for Abigail. Um, and, you know, that's the, that's the point of no return for, uh, for Arthur. And the gang has their money, so they, so they ride off back to camp. And, uh, Arthur and Sadie decide to go and, and rescue, uh, rescue Abigail. Goddamn Ryan. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Milton. And we're in yeah. the 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 final final mission of of the game. And no matter how I play Arthur, because I've played him all across the spectrum, it's really hard to not play him uh heroic in this in this last mission. Like it's really hard for to to not see Arthur being a good person or at least trying to be a good person in this last in this last mission. Yeah. Um and I I think that the the fact that you know up until this like these last last few missions before this we got a lot of time with uh with Arthur and and Charles. Um is interesting because Charles, you know, I go back to um, when they first went to fucking, what's the, to Clemens Point. Um, and they found the the German family and everything and, you know, the missions with, uh, with Rainsfall and Eagle Flies. Uh, Charles has been the one that's, I feel like, most strongly pulled, pulled Arthur and, uh, morally mm-hmm. to a better place but but now we get um something that we only we haven't gotten as much since like shady bell which is uh arthur and sadie yeah and their and their dynamic together where i feel like and not in a romantic sense I guess in a long run there could be potential for that, but um, I feel like Arthur's the only thing keeping Sadie sane. Yeah, you know, like I feel like Arthur fulfills that role of being a moral anchor for for Sadie. um, Didn't she say that he's the only reason she's still there? Yeah, she said. She said, "You're the only one one of these fools that I can trust." Yeah. Um I think, you know, 
Arthur shows himself to be willing to not constrain her to a domestic uh, sort of, uh, you know, uh, stereotypically female, yeah, like role. She, uh, but also isn't willing to let her just go hog wild into like violence and and yeah. insanity. And so, like, it shows that he both respects her enough to, like, treat her essentially as an equal, but also uh, is is cares about her enough to not just say yes to any of her, uh, you know, first, imp- uh, you know, any of her, like, bloodthirstiness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, he agrees a couple of times, but... Yeah, but uh, in, in reason to what exactly. he, his, his goals already were and, like, what he saw to be the right thing or, you know... Yeah. Plus, they're trying to get you know their kidnapped friend back at this point. Oh yeah, no, exactly. A little bloodthirst you can uh, <laughs> you can quench there, I think. Yeah. You can dive deep into that. Um. And you know, run through some uh some Pinkertons in in Van Horn. And uh, and then. Sadie gets herself captured, and so got to go after her and go in, kill some guards, rescue the girls. Milton's there, and I, I fucking love Abigail. Yeah, like she's honestly, she's honestly one of my favorite favorite characters in the in the game you know she like cause cause she's not she's not dumb like she's not she's not naive about anything but she's also uneducated well she's uneducated yeah that's that's one that's one aspect of it but she's you know she's n- not like starry-eyed like um like Mary Beth or something and she's not self-destructive in in the way that either uh Sadie or um or Karen she may are. be one of the most well-rounded exactly individuals. Like, like she's incredibly, incredibly well well-rounded. Um, and I don't know. Probably, n- probably never shot a gun. Certainly never at someone before. And just fucking n- just. Just kills fucking uh, Milton because you know, like it's what sh- it's what you got to do. There's not like some like philosophical attachment to yeah. to killing Milton. It's just it's 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 the reality of the situation. And I feel like Abigail more than most people in the camp because of her of her station as as a mom and you know all the things she has to consider is much more grounded in reality yeah. than 
than the rest of the <laughs> of the camp is. She may not even know her ABCs, but she still knows A cab. You know? <laughs> yeah. Uh. She also knows these kids also like wanted to take her son too, so I'm sure there's some resentment there. Yeah. Hmm. Um. So. Uh, fucking Milton's dead. Long live the FBI. <laughs> <laughs> and get out of there. And every time it seems that, like, they're riding away and um, and Abigail is, is talking about, you know, get almost getting captured or getting captured and and all of that, and then Arthur's just like, "I'm fine. Le- I'm f- uh, I'm fine. Ho- hold up a minute." <laughs> <laughs> but poor Arthur. Yeah, yeah, poor, poor Arthur. But there'll be time for sorrow later. This is this is the moment for me. Like every time that I. I replay this game and I and I come back to it. Like there's little things along the way that that mean a lot. Um but this is this is why I I play this play this game over and over again is this the the ride back is just I don't know. Like it's hard to put into words how like a two and a half minute um quick time event <laughs> can like encapsulate dozens of hours of of gameplay yeah. and like the whole emotional journey up to that point um and prepare you for like how emotionally heavy the rest of like the next hour or however long it is to the to the end is is going to be but and the more you explore the better it is because like um first probably five times I completely maybe more than that I completely missed the the conversation because I didn't spend I never spent a lot of time at Beaver Hollow so I would miss like conversations with with Mary Beth, um, and that last one I think the last one that you can have with her, uh, where she tells Arthur to, you know, maybe it's a sign, Arthur, try, try and do the good thing, and that's the like the last little memory that you that you hear riding back into camp. Um, And and yeah, just so emotionally powerful, and then just just this the silence back at back at camp as uh, Mike is barking at everyone to get their bags packed and all that so they can get out of there. And Arthur comes and confronts confronts Micah. It's time to have a little chat. Yeah. yeah. Time to have a little chat before I get much sicker. Um, and 
and John lives, and and Susan dies. Um, and and Dutch, you know, chooses that moment to to ask or you know be with me or be with me or against me after Micah just just shot the the fucking camp mom in the gut and yep. she's fucking just bleeding out dying on the ground uh you you know dutch but right going to make us say it <laughs> right yeah um and the pinkertons show up and the the gang uses that that chance to escape and Arthur and John sneak off through the caves and uh, run away until Pinkertons come and kill your horse. Hmm. I don't want to talk about it. You guys had this stuck with the same horse through the game, didn't you? Yep. Pretty much me and Mabel. Moonshine. Yeah, moonshine. <laughs> <laughs> yup. Yeah. First time I played through, I had um, Bo for this. Is that, is that his name? Yeah. The the big old Buell. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um. That hit me harder because like I really like I had connected the Buell to like what Arthur had learned from the the veteran. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And. uh so it was just like Arthur having to confront like his own mortality and because he was seeing like his horse died that he had gotten as a gift from somebody else who perished tragically. Yeah. And uh just a lot of fucking like I don't know, there's there's this it's always easier to portray this like when you have a narrative that goes over a longer period of time. But there's something about the fact that like you can't really live a life without being completely isolated and like tragically so without just like weaving into everybody else's stories, you know. Yeah. And try as like our culture might to uh isolate and alienate everyone from each other. Um you know, our story is told through like the way we interact with other other people, you know. There's nothing to be said of, you know, just one one stone in the ground, right? You know. Yeah, you must have spent like a lot of time with with Buell, because it usually takes me a little bit to get. You know, you have to be. I want to say level three, maybe even level four bonding to get the you know the morning. Yeah. Of the horse at the at the end. So to to get up that much, yeah, you must have like put a lot of time into into the horse. Yeah. Uh the first playthrough I was just like I know what's coming. You know, you know, 'cause yeah. it's inevitable. But you know, you wanna just hang on for as long as you can. Keep coughing, just hacking away. Yeah. <laughs> Smoking cigars. <laughs> oh my god, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny that nobody even talks about that one either. 
Seems like I just keep getting worse. You got a lot? And and then um, left with your final like big decision of the game. And I've done all four options. I've uh, I've gone with John high honor, gone with John low honor. I've gone back for the money high honor. I've gone back for the money low honor. Uh, I you guys went with John, right? Yeah. 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 Okay. Good. I p- I pity anyone who go certainly high honor going back for the money feels so anti climactic. Um if you've got a save do it just to to do it but I wouldn't recommend replaying the game cuz that was one that like it was an immediate restart. I don't think I did the epilogue cuz I could just not as as satisfying um even go- even going with John Low Honor is I think is stronger than going back for the money cuz there's a little bit different interaction with um with Micah at the at the end um but yeah so go with John run away from from the Pinkertons until Arthur has has pushed all that he can, and and sends uh, sends John away with his hat. And tells John to get the hell out of here and be a goddamn man. And John says, "You're my brother." And Arthur's and Arthur's says, "I know." In a in a nod to their favorite movie, Star yeah. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> they always, they always talked about that, how much they loved that scene. Yeah. <laughs> uh and then Arthur's doing pretty ga- damn good job fighting off like twenty uh, twenty agents at a time from yeah. from a distance and, and dying until uh till Micah shows up. And that fall did not help. Yeah. The situation. Um, yeah, okay, so that morning when Arthur woke up, was he going to die that day, or was it all the bullshit and trauma, particularly this fight, that that did him in? I, think I bet it it's was the fight. Yeah, for sure the fight that did him in when he died. He could have probably made it at least, I would say, I would through say the morning. I mean, through, like through a couple another of days. couple days yeah. at the very least, I think. Yeah. Because, like, what? he would have already been, like, bedridden if he was just going to, like, die that day. Right. Know? Yeah. Right. Like, uh, say, um, you know, he doesn't, when, when Charles is like, no, you have people who need you, good people, go help them. And he was like, no, nah, I think I want to stay here. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know. Uh, and I'll he, figure it out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he just and chilled and rested and had some, you know, holistic Wapiti medicine and didn't put any stress on himself. How much longer? I bet could a have month, maybe two. That's what I'm thinking. Right. Because yeah. he, he's already fucked by that time. He's already had so much bad shit happen. Right. 
Um, I guess it would also depend on like what the weather brings, but I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Because yeah. I could ex- expedite the process oh, yeah. depending. If it was really like fucking cold and rainy and stuff, mm-hmm. that would have fucking fucked the shit up. I tell you what, though. I totally get him like just getting gassed to the point of dying in like a fist fight. You yeah. know, it's like the most important part of like boxing is fucking conditioning. You know, you gotta have like a lot of air in your tank. And uh He barely has any. Yeah. But in despite that, like you can just like fucking work Micah over in that fight. You yeah. can just absolutely trounce him. Yes. Dude, so up until now mm-hmm. I've I've played on Steam with uh with a three sixty controller that had a janked up fucking uh B button. So mm. Fights were always so fucking hard because the button would always get fucking stuck. Shit. Yeah. So I'm playing on the on the PlayStation 4 with y'all's? Aaron's? Someone's PlayStation. I think it's, I think it's Aaron's controller. Uh, yeah, Aaron's like is the PS4. The PS3 is mine. Got you. Yeah. I knew the PS3 was yours, but I didn't know if the controller came from you guys or from him. Um, but that actually works. And so I'm actually able to like beat the sh- fucking snot out of uh out of Micah uh, and it's 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 so rewarding <laughs> now it's both it's really satisfying and not at the same time yeah. because because you want to just like throw him off the fucking cliff I, that yep. literally that's what I was just about to say was just grab him by his goddamn fucking neck and throw him off yeah like i've done this with so many fucking people right like that's that's one of those things of like you know you're capable of doing, yeah. But the game has to go certain ways, so it's it stops you. That's kind of uh, frustrating at times. There's also this like terrible dramatic irony of like if fucking Micah and Arthur got in a fist fight, like I don't know, a few months earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus Christ, <laughs> Arthur yeah. would just like just immediate. Yeah, it would rip his heart out. You know. Yeah. Be like fucking Mortal Kombat. Even in that scene, I just wanted to like take his head and just bash it into the ground a couple of times. Yeah. I, I feel like Arthur could have done it. I mean, the fact that it's like a fight and <laughs> Arthur is like on his death's door <laughs> yeah. with yeah. fucking tuberculosis already <laughs> says something about their comparative like internal strength. Yeah. Well, Micah's just like super manic- manipulative, so his whole power is just like trying to do that yeah and you know shooting people and stuff yeah. it's just like you know he's just a like a lying like snake in the grass mm-hmm. <laughs> which is why dutch feels completely fine with just walking away from him in the epilogue but we'll get there yeah well and and dutch has another interesting um moment here but before that we get the moment that I can that always just makes me wince when he slams Arthur's head against the fucking rock Mm. and uh, and Arthur's going for the going for the gun and I remember I remember Jacobs saying this one day before I had ever I I knew about the game because I'd played the first game 
and I was anticipating it, but at the time I didn't have a PS4, and it wasn't out on Steam yet, so I hadn't played it yet, so I didn't have context for it. But, uh, and honestly, put it on on my gravestone, just like one of the best quotes of of the game, and I know there's been a lot of those, but honestly, uh, in the end, Micah, despite my best efforts to the contrary, it turns out I've won. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, write it down. I have a list somewhere of things I want on my gravestone. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like a fucking, um, just an LED s- LED sign <laughs> that just changes yes. every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you fucking. It's whoever finds my body gets to pick. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's so great about this, like, this triumphant losing battle, you know? This yeah. fact that, like, ultimately everyone's story ends the same way. It's just the the path there. You can either choose to do the, the good thing or not, you yeah. know? Yeah. And whether whether your story or the story that you're telling ends with you or if it's part of something something more because you know uh, uh, not long after this you know Mike is pleading with Dutch to to go and Micah says you know we did it we made it and Arthur says that that John made it he's the only one the rest of us know but I tried in the end you know I did and I think that's the the victory that Arthur is is clinging to, yeah. Because you know, what whether he has changed or not, and he certainly has, but it doesn't really mean much now that he's going to die. But in that, he gave he gave John and Abigail and Jack a chance, and so his story doesn't end with he doesn't end on that on that mountain because he's connected his story to yeah. something to something much bigger. Yeah, in a way you could say the last part of his story is when many years later we see Jack shoot down Agent Ross. Yeah. yeah. That's our last story beat really. So it's everything that you know, in any opportunity that John had to be a father moving forward was just based on Arthur's sacrifice. There's there's a moment later on where in the in the epilogue where John is talking to Abigail in the house, mm-hmm. and uh, she says to Jack, you know, Arthur uh, gave his life uh, to to save all of us, and uh, John's like, what did I do? <laughs> <laughs> I did the same thing. <laughs> but you didn't die on the mountain. Yeah. I don't want to talk about him. <laughs> Why not? Because I don't talk about the ball in the first game. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile, John, to anybody who will listen, Arthur, Arthur saved my life. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, I'm pretty much played through the the epilogue, but I'll do it again when it comes comes time to do the do the review. But just everybody you run run into. I think I knew your f- your friend. Oh yeah, Arthur. He's yeah. dead. <laughs> he, he, he died a long time ago. <laughs> I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. He died. You know, he died for 
protecting me. He died <laughs> saving my life. We watched a compilation of John telling people Arthur died yeah. the other day. Yeah. And oh my God. The one that got me the most, well, we can talk about it when we do the epilogue. <laughs> yeah. But well, I, don't <laughs> I will mention that I love whenever he meets Rainsfall yep. again. He's like, uh, uh, hi, I'm Jim uh, Milton. John Marston. <laughs> 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 like he, he doesn't even take a breath. He's no. just like <laughs> Or lower his voice. He just yeah. puts his he hand. He just up. kinda kinda like leans forward. Uh. But yeah, Dutch Dutch shows up and stops Arthur from from picking up the gun and uh you know, and Ar- Arthur tells tells Dutch that that Mike is a rat and I just wonder what's going through Dutch's Dutch's head here, because you know, I think think Dutch has an attitude of, well, if, if Arthur's not going to to go along, and he he dies, and that just that's because he didn't go along with the plan. But I don't think Dutch wants to see Arthur being beaten to death. You know, like I, I think that it, that kind of like, oh, whether he's right about Micah or not, um, maybe Micah isn't the person that I want to associate my myself with, or or not. You know, it's hard to tell what's going through Dutch's Dutch's head yeah. at that at that moment. I think completely cynically, Dutch would be thinking, you know, it doesn't matter whether or not Arthur's right about Micah being a rat because he's a useful, dedicated rat yeah. who will basically fall in line, yeah. you know? I like think, well, just he doesn't want or need Arthur around anymore. Yeah, eventually a certain level of loyalty becomes a um, a hindrance if yeah. you uh, if they're loyal to you, like as a person who like loves and cares about you and isn't just like bending to your will, you know, because Arthur was dedicated to the person of Dutch, not yeah. just like the like the ego trip uh, ambition of everything that Dutch imagined. Yeah, and I think to Dutch those are the same thing, but um, not not so to someone who has like a fully developed like moral being. So so Micah is just a he's a useful idiot for the most part. He's just even worse than Bill. Oh, for sure. Oh uh, yeah. I yeah. just like on the other hand of useful idiots. Yeah, Micah knows he's doing wrong. Right. There's no way he can Absolutely. Yeah, he's just a he's a viper. And it's uh, it's hard to put into words the the serenity of of these these last moments of um, of dying basically and you know I fear the trauma and the agony of it but i'd hope that i could face my my own end with that much 
that much strength of of character and everything. And I think that's what makes stories like this so compelling to come back to is that's you know the shared universal experience that we're that we're all going to end up there and ritualistically preparing yourself for it. I think is one of the, like the strongest yeah. things that art can do. There, uh, there's a monologue that <laughs> um, uh, Matthew McConaughey's character gives in the first season of True Detective. It's kind of exactly about this, and uh, he's saying that like he's going through the images of a bunch of these different murder victims, and he says that like at the last moment, everyone has the same look on their face. It's a, it's a relief. At the in the end, they welcomed it. You know, there's a realization that they didn't have to hang on so tight. That they were wearing a mask, and that that mask was of a person, and uh, they were just dreaming inside a locked room. And you know, that's kind of kind it's kind of where we're at here. You know, Arthur, Arthur didn't even have a life. You know, he's a he's a totem to yeah yeah to the shared like experience and understanding of what it means to be loyal and to sacrifice. Um, and eventually to to die, and it's like video games are are strange like this too, because their their narratives are like these uh these eternal recurrences. You know, Arthur at all points is in every stage of his story. You know, it's like looking at at. Uh, you know your your lifetime. You can't. You, it isn't just where you are in that moment. It's every part of it all the time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know what what connects our like birth and death is the same like fiber throughout our entire life. It's all just one moment, really. If we were to look at it with any kind of additional perspective. So, at long last, there, there we are on the on the side of a of a mountain, facing the setting sun. Uh, um, but of course, the story doesn't end there. And uh, we'll pick up next time with with Jim Milton. <laughs> I don't know how to Why do that name. I don't know how to do the the epilogue because they're really not that long, but there's a lot more stuff like exploration-wise outside of if you just stick to the main story, it's really not that long to get through. Certainly the first part of the epilogue um but different people you can run into and side stuff because i don't typically do things like bounty hunter missions with arthur i do them more with with john um so we'll figure out how we want to divide that 
that up. Um, and then, but that won't take too long. And then we're already going to do um, the first game, uh, Let's Play style, in a, in a couple of months. Uh, so, with this almost done, and this has been a while, we've been we've been trucking on this game for a for a long time. Uh are there any other like maybe not of this of this scope. I can't really think of anything that's of this scope. But any other games that you think would be worth um doing playthrough yeah. review on? Um I think we would all enjoy Bioshock. Have you ever played the first one? Mm-mm. No. I th- I like the first one a whole lot. Um, the second one's probably actually the best of them. What's the narrative premise? Um, it's basically like the failure of libertarianism. Okay. It does have a good story to it. Yeah. I've just never played it because um, of yeah. Christianity. There's <laughs> a uh, there's a um, like a magnate tech daddy guy mm. named Andrew Ryan, who's pretty clearly a play on Ayn Rand. Right. Who's basically created a uh, sort of a uh, uh, Alice shrugged ty- type deal underwater, trying to create a utopia mm-hmm. where they're free from like the laws of man, and um, yeah, it's basically just a uh, it's a a guy who is trying to uh, avoid any kind of like civic responsibility or religious or spiritual meaning and created a uh, um, an underwater city mm-hmm. that was supposed to embody all of those ideals and in doing so created these things called uh, plasmids which are supposed to like scientifically enhance uh, your abilities so that like you could like light a match with your thumb mm-hmm. and stuff like that but um, they become addictive and so, like, everybody that's remains in the the city that you've stumbled upon um, is corrupted by all of these these plasmids. Or what's it on? Uh, it's on, I mean, you can get it on Steam for sure. But, uh, uh, it's all the systems usually. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. You can certainly get it on PS3, I think. And um, Xbox. And Xbox 360 and the 1 and the 4. I was gonna say, is it on the is it on the four? Yeah, I think uh, you can get the bundle on the four for like super cheap. Cool. Yeah, like all three, all three games. Because uh. it came out like I know it's a few years old. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know it was when I first got that PS3 that you have. Mm-hmm. So I know it's been a while. I just can't. When did they come out? Mm-hmm. Like t- two thousand seven. Yeah. That's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Um. No, I'm probably. I want to get the new, uh, the new Star Wars Lego, but I'll wait a little bit for it to go down because Lego games always go down pretty quick. Hmm. Um, Is it still at like full game price, like sixty bucks? I want to say so. It just came out. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh. There's a new Saints Row game coming out in August that I'm really excited about. Hell yeah. I'd love to do a uh, let's play of Last of Us, also. Um, 
I mean, that's one that I would be, I'd be down to, because we, we touched on it briefly while I played you guys' copy, but I would love to, to do, like, a week for week, um, review on both of those, oh, uh, those yeah. games. There's a number three, like, um. There's a script for the third yeah, one, the th- right? Yeah, there's a script for a third one that got leaked. Damn. It doesn't, like, mention... It's the, like, kind of the background yeah. of, like, where stuff's going to be, but not who mm. is going to be involved. I feel like L.A.'s story is pretty much done. Yeah. And I, I would love to see a sequel that features, um, uh, like, the playable characters are Lev and Dina. Mm. Mm. Or maybe Lev and J.J. It's, like, that far in the future. Ooh. Yeah. That'd be fucking cool. I definitely just want to see Lev. Yeah, I feel like... Lev um, is, like, one of the characters at the heart of the story, but uh, not necessarily, like, as deep in the plot. So it'd be cool to see. Well, I, I mean, he he has some very important plot points. but Especially with his sister? Yeah. Um, their, their whole thing is essential to developing Abby. Mm-hmm. But um, apart from that, I mean, just, like, you don't meet him until Abby's second day, I think. Yeah. So that's already a good ways through the game. It's more than halfway through. I think we're going to be, or like that island where the boats were pointed to. We where might the, be. Yeah, where the Firefly refuge was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would, that'd be cool. It's it's weird. It's I guess it's like it's like dying. It's it's hard to to end it. You know, it's it's hard to like. Okay, this is the last thing that I have <laughs> to say about this game that I've played a dozen times and sunk in a hundred plus hours into and have talked about for God probably like twenty something weeks now, but. There's like there's always there's always I was just I didn't realize the sun had set at all. But I guess there's there's always more to s- more to say and the the beauty of of stories is you can go back and experience them again and end up at the same place at the end of there always being more to say and things you wish you had done differently. I don't know, it gives a certain certain peace about about life itself. Yeah. And that like if you if you couldn't do do things over again, you'd probably do it mostly the same way. And the probably the balance of of regrets and uh, an accomplishment and all that would probably end up being the same in the end anyway, you know. Yeah, as long as you didn't make any, like, catastrophic errors. But then, if you're at that point, death is probably a release in general. Right. It's kind of a uh, it's a merciful thing, I think, that a, a, a being that's able, of able to, like, perceive of its own existence is capable of death. You know? Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, that's that's that story, and uh, that's this sh- this show. And like I said, we back in a few weeks with the epilogue and uh, more Moon Knight and and other things to to talk about. Um, fucking, that's really all I got. I, uh, I picked up a used copy of, of uh, Xenoverse 2. Oh, yeah. The other, the other week. Been playing, been playing that. What's that? Uh, d- Dragon Ball. Ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's like uh, it's like a multiverse kind of thing. Yeah, you create a character and they just sort of get like yep. dropped into. Yeah. Uh, how old is it? Is it a couple years? Um, it's a few years old by now. Yeah, because um, Ricky got it whenever he was at the house. I, I was say like it's like 2017. Yeah, 2016. Yeah, I played that with. Okay, I played that with John at one point. It's yeah. a good one. It's a lot of fun. Um. Fucking, I haven't played, um, fucking, what's the, not Fighters, uh, Kakarot. That I haven't played that either. That looks really good. I yeah. One of my favorite was, um, fucking, did you ever play Sagas? On like the, I want to say like PlayStation 2. I think so. You, it's pretty much just like your your Goku up through. I think like the Frieza saga, like it's it's just just like the narrative of the first like first arc basically of uh, of DBZ. But I think I played that. I played all of the Budokai Tenkaichi games. Those are cool. Yeah, I love those. Um, Burst Limit was good. Yeah. I didn't play Burst Limit that that much, but I en- I enjoyed it. Yeah, the Tenkaichi games were my yeah, they were the favorite. Shit. Yeah, they were the fucking that was the bee's knees. It felt like they had the best grasp on like what was cool about the fighting and yeah. Dragon Ball. Um. Yeah, I en- like I enjoy the fighting in um in Xenoverse, but it can be really fucking frustrating with. I, my experience with that game is getting stun locked like perpetually all the time. Yeah. Um. And fucking dynamic cameras mm. in 3D action or 3D like fighting games can yeah. be so frustrating. That is tough stuff. Um. I think the only like. Okay, there's two good 3D fighters. There's Power Stone and there's Smash Brothers. Like, because this what Soul Calibur? Yeah, Soul Calibur. True. I haven't played enough Soul Calibur to really have a judgment on it, dude. Soul Calibur two, that was like the fighting game of my like younger generation. Like being in elementary school, that was the fighting game we all wanted to play. Um, this was like in the in the space between. Like the the rebirth of uh, like Mortal Kombat and 
was before Injustice or any of that shit. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I kind of feel like those remakes are a little underwhelming. But, um, yeah, it was just like, um, it it had the the really good, like, arcade feel to it. You know what I mean? Like, um, that that's where fighting games shine in general. Is yeah. Like, you just, you go up to a machine and, like, if you're lucky, there's, like, a line of, like, six people trying to dethrone you. And then eventually somebody gets, like, a lucky ring out and then you get to, like, bow out to, you know, nerdy applause as you (laughs) (laughs) are dethroned. Yeah, I... You know, I couldn't imagine Xenoverse 2 in an arcade. I could imagine fighters in an arcade. Oh, yeah, for sure. But, like... Like, a good arcade 3D fighter makes use of the space. It also has to be an even playing field. Yeah. And it feels like... Xenoverse, a lot of it is, like, RPG elements of, like, designing your character and making sure they have, like, the mm-hmm. right moves and stuff. Oh, that's honestly, like, Dragon Ball Sims is the number one thing that I play it for. Yeah. Like, fucking unlocking different cl- different clothing, like, the whole process of, uh, of giving the, d- the dude on Namek, um whatever fucking item he wants, so he'll give you food so you can take that food to Boo, so Boo will fucking shit out a a baby that gives you clothes. What? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. There's this whole thing of, like, Boo wants to make a family, so you give Boo a lot of food, and he'll make little Boos. And there's three different ones. There's a yellow one, a red one, and a blue one. And the yellow one gives you, like, random clothes. So you can have up to six at a time, and you can, like change them so they're all fucking yellow so you're just getting just like every time you go you're just getting new fucking digs. It's awesome. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Um, Yeah, those kind of things are honestly what I I play it for. Like the fighting is, is fun but and I love like one that's a game that's more fleshed more fleshed out and like in the world aspect because it's like little you know you've played it little hub worlds and everything and um Something's more, more dynamic. Like an open world drag, open world Dragon Ball game would be awesome. Isn't that what Kakarot's supposed to be? That's what I uh, see. I don't. That's what I think, but I don't. I, I don't, don't know. know. I have no idea. And you get that and play it. Um, what do you mean by you can only have six at a time? I'm still stuck on this. I'm sorry. Six at a time. Does something happen to them? No, they just. That's that's the limit. Like you get, you give him like he'll like. Give him enough food, and he'll pop out a baby. Do that six times, and then if you do that, he'll give you uh, something special for the for the end game. Oh, okay. I thought you meant like six at a time, as in like a rotating each time. No, no. It's just six, and I think that's as many as you can. Got it. Okay. Get. My yeah. <laughs> My bad. Oh, you're good. Um. Yeah, I guess I'm gonna go home and. And do and do that. I pretty much play the epilogue to the end. All I got to do is fucking go go face down down Micah. Um, uh, Ghost of Tsushima might be another thing you can you can play. Heard a lot about that. Oh, what about that um, new game you've been playing with the uh, time beat 'em up? That is a really dense and 
to somebody who doesn't have brain worms boring kind of okay. game. <laughs> I get it. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm convincing you guys to sit down to a turn-based RPG. Mm. Yeah, because there's... Wait, are you like talking about Divinity? Because I was talking about the... Um, of Eternity? Oh. I wasn't talking about either of those. What, the wheel? Is that what you no, said? not that at all. Oh, what were you talking about? I was trying to say the time thing. I was just doing that. Um, it's a fighting game. That's why I said beat em up. Um, brand new. You're obsessed over it for so long. Every time you die, you oh, get older. Oh, oh, Sifu. Thank you. I'm so sorry. That I wouldn't really there. be like a Let's Play thing because like if you can probably finish that game in six hours the first time. And like you can after that, you can finish it in maybe an hour. Okay. Oh. Even with all the different endings and like saves? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, an RPG would be really hard because even with like, even with Red Dead, um, there are some things that just in like when you choose to do something or what you choose to do in the interim that paths can diverge but like an RPG can be an extremely personalized in your experience yeah. of it. So it'd be hard for us all to have... Like, honestly, I think... La I can't think of a stronger game in a, in a narrative sense to talk about than Last of Us because you yeah. are so on the rails through those yeah. those games. There's really not... Ghost of Tsushima is similar. Yeah. It's, uh, it's all the same story beats, but uh, you can sort of complete them in very slightly differing ways. It's more just like the whole game is a um, is a um, like a scanner box and you get to just solve it, these issues that mm -hmm. are all always the same with a, a variety of different methods. Now I do and I don't really think anyone does it as well as Rockstar. I do love that um that balance that you get with both Red Dead and GTA, but I think the difference with GTA being being modern, even when you're not playing the story, it has a sense of thrust to it. Yeah, you know, like it has it. Yeah. You can get Red Dead. You can get far away, both physically and like psychologically, from the main story. Mm -hmm. And there's a plenty to do. Um, you know, there's. There's plenty of things to accomplish and and all of that, and I don't think anyone does that as well. Of like, because I th obviously like, there's nowhere you can really go in Last of Us. You're always doing doing story. Yeah. Um, well, there's uh, Ellie's first day in Seattle, and the second one has kind of an open world thing to it. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. It feels like they were maybe going for that to be a and an, because it's the only time you ever get like the opportunity to explore and can just completely overlook things by not yeah uh um, going through all that stuff like you could just not have the shotgun if you just if you don't go into the bank on that first day yeah can you imagine like going through that game without fucking every single weapon <laughs> <laughs> to uh, be fair you play on grounded yeah i think putting that so early in the in the game is why it it, could, it feels like you're being thrust forward through that like mm -hmm. 
you don't feel like it's a pl- it's a time when you yeah can ex- explore. Right, you've got a very specific uh, goal. You're trying to get gasoline, mm-hmm. and so you know that's the whole motivation for the the whole area. And I hope the second game uh, fixes this a little bit, but like. Once you've done most things, then you know it's f- it's fun to explore in in Spider-Man, and you're free to for the most part for PlayStation Four, Spider-Man, and, and Miles Morales. But the world doesn't feel as dynamic as it could. It's not very lived-in feeling. Exactly. Yeah. It feels like there are like people walking around, but they're not doing anything of importance. The only thing that they're there for is to be like, what's up, Spider-Man? Right. Or be like, fuck you, Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> there needs to be like a, a greet and antagonize function in sp- in Spider-Man. That I don't know. It feels like the game kind of would collapse in on itself if you were playing a Spider-Man that could get in contentious fist fights <laughs> with civilians. <laughs> You know, like it's that's fair. It might be a little too much uh, freedom for that world. Although I don't know, maybe it'll be served by it. If you could have like, if it was like um, Arkham Knight or one of those games where there's like a bunch of different playable characters, then I could maybe see that. Like you can just be Venom, just like I w- I would love to see it actually, like a, a mature rated Spider-Man game. I mean, just just take the like. The mechanics and everything of of Red Dead, and just put them on fucking, <laughs> on fucking Spider-Man. Like, you can you can fight people, uh, and and it fucking lowers your uh, your honor or, or fucking respectability or whatever. Oh, no, it should be like hero and menace, right? Yeah, those are the two two Spider-Man things, and it just changes what like people say about you on like the podcasts. Yeah, and yeah. What J. Jenna Jameson says about you. What the kind of billboards they put up and stuff. Like, that'd be cool. Yeah. What do you think, like, with the lowest honor, what kind of uh, thing? James, Jonah, whatever. I mean, he'd, he'd probably say around the same <laughs> shit yeah. he normally yeah. says. Yeah. He just has less ammo whenever people really love Spider Man in the, in oh, the that's like, fair. public. Uh, luckily, PlayStation 5s are starting to go down a little bit. So, hopefully, by the time that game comes out they'll be affordable oh my god i can't even comprehend or think about buying a new game system god how ps5 i I like i've just been like that's not real (laughs) to myself for like years now just being like that's not a that's not a real thing people don't have those who cares (laughs) i'm just gonna play my ps4 games well, okay, so one of my bosses does have a PS5. He said he played it for the first week it was out, and he has not touched it since. <laughs> Fucking he Jesus plays on Christ. the 4, mostly. So support us on Patreon. Yeah, <laughs> please, <laughs> so we can buy a PS5. And then not use it. No, I mean, <laughs> we'll use it. Fuck. Yeah, Let's buy constantly. your boss's PS5. <sighs> I bet he would give me a discount. That'd be cool. I don't know if he wants to sell it, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah, well, it's somewhere. <laughs> like, subscribe, follow, the Discord, uh, dig. Yeah, dig. Uh, check us out on LinkedIn. Um, Grinder. 
<laughs> and uh, go to geocities.com. <laughs> <backslash>. <laughs> uh, be sure to join our web circle. And uh, we'll, s- we'll see you guys around the uh, the MSN chat rooms. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't forget to add us on MySpace. I got to pee. Bye.